these push talks that people don't echo on accident. Yeah, um, that's yeah, all right. That's, actually a good one. that's all right. I plan Let to me... um, actually go into a special chat somewhere uh, so that I'm free from all of this uh, business. But in the meantime, it's good to see so many people on the Discord server. So you don't have Discord in dark mode. <laughs> no, I think that was the first. Thing. When we were testing it earlier, that's the first thing the staff uh, pointed out. I uh, am a bit of a noob when it comes to the Discord server, so one hundred percent a huge shout out to uh, Red Chicken and basically the entire moderator team who did ninety nine point nine percent of the work to build the channel. While I sort of sat here and was like. I'll link it in the video description. And sometimes I even get that wrong and I have like a limited invite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how did I know that Matthias was going to be the first one to comment? Matthias? Well, I'm too quiet because on my phone, um, like I'm on my phone right now on the microphone. I can, I can change it if it's going to hurt people's eyes. I just don't know how to. I yeah, um, I've just turned up your uh, your volume. Oh, I don't think it's going to let me because it's streamer mode enabled. Uh, no. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, let's not uh, change uh, that. All right, hang on. Guide me to how to uh, change the Whoa, appearance. Somebody in your stream chat just said Bernie Sanders should burn in hot sun. <laughs> all right, well, uh, I'm glad they're oh, not. Oh, yeah. Could you actually make me a moderator on uh, your... Um... Oh, well. Yeah, stream so that we can actually monitor that. Because we don't, we we don't consider that to be a good thing. Let's not try to kill people. Yeah, all right. Torment them. How do I do that? Appearance settings. Appearance settings. You have to go. Yeah, I got it. Hey. All right. So, Rich, you can say something so I can try and figure out how to make you a mod on my chat server, so we can, I don't know, try and avoid some of the drama. Honestly, I have no clue. <laughs> you have to, um, Brilliant. I believe it's you go into part. You can go into participants, and that will show names, and you can then find names. Or you can like go into. Or you can just type. You see when you hover over the. Are you even a participant on the red chicken? Hmm? Are you even watching the you live stream? Red chicken. Uh, it's red and then chicken. It's, it's divided. I didn't know how to make a proper name. Are you on wow. the Are you on the uh, stream right now? Yay. I'm in the stream right now. Yes. I can't see on participants. Let me refresh the page. Uh, just Just say something uh, yeah. in the stream chat. Yeah. Yeah. Just did. Ah, oh, red chicken. I see him. Yes. Yay, there you go. You are now a moderator for my channel. All right, so you can, as everyone can tell, both on Discord and on YouTube now, which is exciting, uh, we are extremely good at this. So, um, you know, the idea of this is for anyone that hasn't come to the Discord server before is every time after the video, we get everyone sort of onto a nice big voice chat and we answer questions about the video. 90% of the time it gets hijacked by Australians who just talk about kangaroos. Um, but in the 20 or 30 minutes before they sort of uh, raid the server, we normally have a really good discussion about, uh, you know, some of the economic principles that we may have touched on in the video that we can go into a bit more depth. I'm more than open for people to agree with me, disagree with me. At the end of the day, I try to stay as neutral as possible, but still it's kind of unavoidable that I generally take a stance. When I'm looking at politicians, for example, I tend to take a very positive stance, be it 
you know, Andrew Yang, Donald Trump, or now Bernie Sanders, I take their sort of position and argue for their policies. Uh, it's just the sort of neutral position I've decided to take so that I give everyone a fair go. Um, I probably find it's the easiest way to, to discuss their policies productively as well. Am I quiet at the moment? You're perfect, volume. Yeah, yeah good nice. volume. Actually, let's start with um, a question from Mafias, which he tried to say, but he was very, very quiet. Um, if I get the gist of it, of course, Mafias, please um, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, his question is about the American system, and you state in your video it's quite inefficient in the terms of how big it is and, and stuff like that. But why and how do you consider it inefficient to actually how that system works? I think that was his question. Hmm, which is a fair enough question. Um, so ultimately, it's a question of imports versus uh, inputs versus outputs. And someone's typing incredibly loud, and that's very annoying. Um, so inputs is you can look at the dollar figures spent by the average American. So about eight thousand dollars a year, the average American spends towards healthcare. Uh, now, of course, that's not you know everyone sort of forking out eight thousand dollars at the end of the year in one big lump sum. That goes through their insurance schemes. Obviously, some people are paying nothing, and some people are paying a lot more than that. Um, but on average. An American is spending $8,000 a year on healthcare. And that is sort of your input, I suppose, how much money you're throwing into the system. On the other end, you get the output, so how effective that system is at delivering results. And you can see that, you know, you know, obviously America is a developed country, it has decent infant mortality rates, decent life expectancy, but nowhere near as good as, you know, a lot of European countries take, you know, my old favourite Norway, or, you know, even countries like Italy or France or Germany they tend to outperform it while spending much, much less per person on the system. So by definition, if you've got a lot of inputs going into it and not a lot of outputs, that's inefficient. Of course, you can get into the details of how, you know, insurance systems work and how it's, you know, the the intricacies of a system that's, look, honestly, to be, to be perfectly frank, kind of beyond even my sort of scope of understanding. Um, but you know, if you're just looking purely at the inputs versus the outputs, it's, it's an inefficient system. And I sort of defy someone to kind of argue against that. Um, someone it's else. Clicky keyboard, so yeah, my God, I my click keyboard is incredibly clicky clacky. So like, if I ever type anything, um, yeah, you, you'll be in for it. And my microphone cannot get muted. But uh, otherwise, um, and question from Ultimo Uploaders: Do you pursue YouTube full time? No, I do have. And what? Is someone taking a bong rip? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is also why um, we may should go to the actual stream little thing. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll Agreed. see. Mm, okay. All right. Well, moving everyone's going to be a bit fun. No, no, no. Just well, if they just if they have a serious question to ask, that's all right. I'm going to go into my perfect little quiet den. One of the one of the um, general staff can come with me to have a discussion. Yes, uh, you can just move. I will quickly tell the people. Okay, oh, it's a safe space in here. Um, sorry, anyway, so one of the people was saying, do I pursue YouTube full-time? No, I still have a nine-to-five job, or in my case, it's probably like 8.30 to 7.30. Um, so I, I do work in, in finance, um, like I'm a high-frequency trading engineer and a broker. Um, so yeah, that's my nine-to-five, and I was a sort of a full-time university student before I got into that. 
Um, and I was doing a PhD program, which meant I did a lot of teaching, which I really, really enjoyed. And uh, now, unfortunately, I'm kind of denied that um, as sort of a creative outlet. So this is is what I do instead. I figure, you know, if I can't, you know, do do lectures, um, I would rather, you know, teach people on the internet. And of course, the actual sort of you know, the actual sort of content's a little bit different, but uh, I still think it's fun and it's a nice little outlet and I'm glad that so many people are enjoying it for the first few months while I was doing it, you know, maybe four or five people would watch my uh, videos and I thought that was amazing. So, you know, it's unbelievable what we've got to now. Uh, are we streaming on Twitch too? Uh, no, we're just trying it on YouTube for now because generally I think... Um, this is where most people kind of watch my content anyway uh so yeah we're just just for now we're kind of leaving it there probably maybe i don't know I, I feel like twitch is more for um video games isn't it well there we go just quickly told the people how they should be able to post questions and such and i'm quickly changing that now so that people can actually send questions in the uh in the right channel there we go. Okay. Uh, one different thing, though. Uh, maybe you want to put slow mode on it for a second. Maybe we should add a disc, like a Discord link to the description of the. Yeah, I'm posting it now a couple of times already. Yes, that would be yeah. nice. That's right. Yeah, I'd put, put um, the, slow um... mode on that for stream question channels so people can ask one question, then not flood. Uh, I'm putting the slow mode to a minute. So, people who are on the stream and on Discord who are watching, uh, please keep in mind that there is a slow mode of one minute to, well, essentially, well, don't have a lot of clutter in there. So, please, if you have any questions, um, link, um, well, say them there, and then we will uh, answer them. Uh, there was actually a follow-up question, I think, from Mafia, so I'm quickly gonna search for it because I think it's still in VC chat. Let me see. Um, oh, uh, Mafias actually would like to see how it, uh, uh, how you compare it, for example, towards the uh, Swiss system uh, in efficiency, uh, in, for example, also compared to uh, Germany and France, where um, you factor in equality, average income, and costs like that. So he actually had a kind of uh, a, an, um, um, a little graph a, a sheet on it as well. Yeah. yeah, I've got it up now. Um, so I actually, to be honest, don't entirely know what I'm looking at there. Average income. Okay, well, that's, that's simple enough. Healthcare costs. So Switzerland's almost as expensive, and it is one of the most expensive countries in the world. Um, HCC to healthcare costs to average income. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, over uh, HOQ. So I don't know what HOQ means. That's the only thing that's not making sense to me. So healthcare costs over average income, obviously Switzerland has very expensive healthcare, but they tend to have very, very high incomes. Um, and I'm not sure exactly where those figures are coming from because it seems pretty low. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you can explain that to me, I'm more than happy to sort of go over it. Economics of Twitch when. Uh, <laughs> Show tits, get money. No, oh, oh, for fuck's sakes, don't say that. Hey, 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 come on, you, you don't swear either. Oh, this was supposed to be the uh, the safe channel that was uh, audited to yes. before you entered it. Yeah, two, oh, two, well. two, 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 two swear words within oh, the, like, God. 30 seconds. 
you guys are the moderator team. Um, yeah, well, look, honestly, to be uh, to be perfectly frank with you, while we were sort of setting up this uh, Twitch server, it was something that's completely beyond me. All of these modern um, kind of companies that just tend to have lots and lots of participants, but no real clear way of making a lot of money. Uh, I was actually asking, I was getting an education on it literally not more than half an hour ago, how Twitch makes all their money because it's a huge sort of platform, you know, it's got, um, you know, just on our server alone, probably like three or 4,000 people um, just sort of posting and chatting away, which would take a lot of servers to run. But apparently there's like, you know, obviously prime subscriptions and things along those lines. So I think the modern business tends to be how do I attract as many users as I can? And then, and then I'll figure out how to make money out of them. Matthias has uh, reworded his question. If you're yeah, sure. if you if you go to stream questions, uh, you can actually see. What do you think it is that made the? Um, okay, so he's agreeing that yeah, American healthcare is is inefficient. Um, we can kind of see that. What do you think it is that has made it so inefficient? Um, it's a really good question. I mean, uh, look again, the complexities of American healthcare systems. Like I know it's like literally a university subject in itself. Uh, if you're studying anything to do with medicine at university in America, just like how the system works. So from the starters, it's it's pretty complicated. Uh, and again, you know, there are private healthcare systems all over the world. In Australia, where I live, we have a combination of both. If, if you get sick, you can go to a public healthcare system and you get treated for free. Uh, but a lot of people still opt into getting private healthcare systems. So you'd think in a sense that would probably make it even more complicated because you have sort of two systems running in parallel. Uh, look, I mean, it would be pure conjecture for me to sort of ask what I think was the inherent flaw in the American system that made it so fundamentally inefficient. Uh, I would say it's probably a little bit of a few kind of basic policies. So America is, it's very proud of its free market. It believes that, you know, private enterprise is, is the correct way of doing a lot of things uh, in general. And I think that has formed a lot of the foundations of even essential industries like this. So you have you know, pharmaceutical companies that get their patents protected well beyond when those patents would be protected in other countries around the world. So you don't get opportunities for things like generic uh, medicine that can save a lot of money. And you have, you know, doctors that have student loan debts that are a lot higher than most doctors in other countries. So they demand higher incomes to compensate themselves for that. I think, you know, look, there's a lot of things to be said where there's other sort of inherent, I don't want to say issues, but other inherent um factors in the uh, US economy that kind of contribute and all kind of culminate in this huge bird's nest of a mess that is their, their healthcare system. So yeah, look, I mean, honestly, um, someone that uh, has sort of more um, kind of insight into the American healthcare system, because I'm from Australia, I mean, I, I haven't dealt with it, I haven't studied it, all I know is like inputs to outputs, it's, it's a horrendous system. Um, but yeah, I mean, discuss amongst yourself because I think there's probably a lot more qualified people to speak on it in, in great depth there. But I, I'd be curious, I mean, um, as I said, you probably sort of asked it in sort of a loaded way. Did you have anything um, that you believed would, would be the reason? Uh, Lisbon asked, what are your thoughts on free college? Uh, well, I am, well... I'm kind of for it against it in a sense. Uh, in Australia, I think Australia has a fantastic system. Um, we have a system that we call HEX, 
uh, which sounds like a witch is putting a curse onto you, but what it is is basically it's student loans to to get a university degree, but it's not done through private businesses. It's done through the government. So the government will have this thing called HECS. Uh, you sign up for it and you can go to university. You can study whatever it is that you want. Now, you don't actually start paying back that loan until you earn over a certain amount. So in Australia, it's about $52,000, I believe. Uh, once, you pa once you earn over $52,000, you then pay a much, much higher tax rate uh, until your loan is paid off. So the idea is obviously if this university education was good and it made you a more productive member of society and you got value out of it, you'd earn, you'd earn a higher income and you would in turn be able to pay back this, this student loan debt because you'd be earning more than $52,000 a year. So I think it's a good system. It doesn't put anybody in financial hardship if they don't get a job after university, uh, but it means you know people that are going and getting productive degrees you know, pay their fair share and get it back. Actually, uh, that's also a question which uh, Luke Corbin actually posted in uh, YouTube, um, that he also thinks it's largely due uh, the healthcare system is due to the high prices of, for example, education within the United States. And if you look at the United States, there is a, quite a lot of, well, colleges, universities, which are very expensive and, of course, all privately run. Uh, on the one hand, uh, it, it ensures that there is enough, well, supply around, because if there's not enough supply automatically, well, that is the law of supply and demand, of course. You can debate about it all you want. Um, uh, if there is low supply uh, uh, compared to high demands, the prices will go up to meet it in the middle. Uh, but that could be one of the things that actually makes it quite more expensive in, in, the, in the long run, indeed. So uh, there are, well, quite a few sides you need to see in that kind of regard. Uh, and that's, of course, with economics, always the case. It's not just one factor. There are so many factors that we rather have too many factors that we also forget factors instead of there's so little that we can see them all. Yeah, there's certainly a lot to be said for it. And I think, yeah, like that would honestly be my first go-to. I mean, obviously doctors in Australia, uh, in America, it's not unheard of for them to literally start practicing with a million dollars in student loan debt. Um, so, I mean, with that, they, you know, these are the, some of the smartest members of our society. They want to be comp uh, compensated for it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, look, it's something that could probably be argued all day. Um, and, you know, what, what the correct answer is for it, I don't know. I know a system where it's a lot more streamlined and, and certainly a system where, uh, you know, obviously it's outside the scope of economics, but, you know, where people aren't going to have to beg for insulin on the internet. It's probably a good system. Uh, one thing that, like, hasn't been mentioned is uh, I live in Norway, by the way, where we have free education, free, free. And there's far too many people getting, like, master's degrees to the point where there's not really enough workers. So it's really hard to get jobs with, unless you have a, have at least a master's or like almost to the point where you kind of need a doctorate, which is insane. Which is insane. And yeah, again, this is, this is conjecture. I mean, for starters, uh, for those of you that aren't aware, I freaking love Norway. I think it's a fantastic country. Uh, I mean, both as a, as a tourist and in terms of, you know, a lot of things that they've done really correctly, but I think um this constant sort of race of upskilling is potentially an inherent uh floor of most modern developed economies where we 
the average roles that are available in, in places like Norway are very skilled, very technical roles that require, you know, a certain amount of, of education. Uh, and that means that it's kind of an arms race of who can get the most kind of education done. Uh, and it also has a system that's very conducive to doing that. Obviously, you know, fantastic welfare system, which means studying is quite pleasant. You don't need to take on crippling amounts of debt, uh, which means that a lot of people are just sort of like, oh, well, look, I want to um, get into a good job. If it means I have to take, you know, eight years and do that at university until I can get an undergraduate and master's and then a doctorate. Okay, no worries, because then I can walk out uh, with a with a good job. Uh, and, you know, if in the meantime I'm comfortable and well looked after and I can enjoy university life like I can in Norway because there are systems in place to make sure I'm very comfortable doing that. I, I, I like speaking purely from my point of view, hell yeah, that'd be something I would do if I lived in uh, a country like Norway. The other thing is, I don't know, like, again, purely conjecture, but Norway is a country of pretty extreme conditions. It would not want to be the kind of country where you'd want to be a labourer. It would not be the kind of country where you'd want to be a, a plumber or someone out there laying roads or building bridges because, bloody hell, it gets really cold. Those conditions are extreme. Um, so for what it's worth, I think perhaps there's the extra incentive that, oh my God, I need a job that's inside where I'm going to be comfortable. I don't know what that's worth, but surely it contributes it's not, something. It's not actually as bad as people think. We have the Gulf Stream, of course, which, uh, which does mean it's not actually that cold most of the time. Oh. I mean, for sure, certain places it gets really, really cold. Like, um, I've, been, I've gone skiing in minus 20 Celsius, but it's not as bad as most people think. Uh, fair enough. I think, um, I, like, I mean, I'm Australian, so I, I, I am Australian. There you go. Answer two questions with one. Uh, and I am from Sydney, where, you know, in, in winter, if it's a cold day, it'll maybe be 15 degrees Celsius. Uh, and that's when, oh my God, you know, bring out the ski jackets. Uh, I mean, I go swimming and, uh, not swimming, skiing and stuff like that, uh, where I obviously it gets, you know, colder. Uh, but there's something about a country where, uh, you know, you're just walking around a city and it, it, it's below that that really gets to someone like me who's used to nice temperate climates. So, you know, again, obviously it's purely conjecture, but, uh, you know, I, 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 for one, would certainly would not want to be a labourer in Norway. Uh, Joel asked what presidential... Um, oh, sorry, Red Chicken. Um, if you actually go a little bit before, actually somebody mentioned me and about the system. Uh, do you think the sort of system that Norway and the Scandinavian countries have uh, would actually be applicable to, um, to, for example, Bernie's ideas in terms of a realistic economy or e economic terms? Yeah, so it's a really, really good example. And I mean, there are two general sort of schools that people fall into when they're talking about socialism uh, or social policies. Let's not call it socialism because that tends to be a lot scarier for people. Uh, one is that um, people will say, oh, you know, socialism is going to be the curse. We're going to end up like the USSR or North Korea or Cuba or the m most recent one is, of course, uh, Venezuela because, you know, it's an example of... Uh, country that had a lot of you know government handouts and we've explored that on a video before so hopefully everyone watching has seen that video um and sort of understands what we're coming from there and the other sort of side of the argument is that people kind of tend to advocate for socialism or social policies look at 
places like Norway or Sweden, particularly Norway, because it does a lot of things amazingly correctly and it does have sort of very social policies in their nature to look after the citizens of the nature uh, the nation. I don't believe it's outside the scope of possibility to adopt a system like Norway's in the USA. Of course, there are a few big differences. Norway is very lucky in the sense that it had a lot of oil wealth and a lot of that oil wealth was able to be reinvested into building their sovereign wealth fund uh, that provides a lot of welfare for the citizens of the country. America, um, of course, has a lot more wealth um, in, in total uh, and that doesn't come purely from its oil reserves. It comes from its, you know, its industries, its multinational corporations, its innovation, things of that nature that still generate revenues for it. Uh, it's just that it's not as sort of simple as we pump this out of the ground and sell it for dollars. It's more we innovate this and we sort of sell it all over the world. Um, so look, I mean, a lot of these systems in for Norway uh, could work, and a lot of you know people sort of say, ah, oh, well, it's only a country of six million people. You know, of course they get it can do it, but. I don't know if that's really an excuse. There's no reason that it can't be scaled up. Uh, you know, Americans are fantastic at making things bigger and better than uh, any other country. So why can't they make uh, the Norway system bigger and better just to fit them? Will it happen? I doubt it um, because uh, a lot of the powers that be, you know, I, the person that I was speaking earlier from, from Norway will probably attest to this. Um, you know, people that are highly educated you know, maybe go out and get their doctorate are on aggregate in Norway sort of paid far closer to the average worker than, you know, highly skilled professionals in, in the USA. If you're a neurosurgeon in the USA, it's not unreasonable to expect, you know, one and a half million dollars in total compensation for the year. If you're a neurosurgeon in Norway, you know, don't get me wrong, you're still going to be paid extremely well, but I would imagine that uh... the average... It's actually really funny. I can give you a good example of a friend of mine, or well, a, a friend of my dad. Um, he is a neurosurgeon in the Netherlands. Um, um, he used to make about 350,000 guilders when it were guilders. So let's just quickly exchange it to uh, euros. But now he is as, um, uh, employed himself, but due to the fact that he is everywhere and nowhere, because he works in three hospitals, uh, two private clinics as well. He's billing much more, um, well, uh, stuff as well uh, to different, um, uh, well, uh, hospitals. So the prices also jump up. And how complex the system is, of course, also the price uh, jumps up uh, in, in general. That also brings me to actually somebody who wants to, uh, ha has a question. Uh, and if you would like me to move him in. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um before we do oh my god i'm just looking at the analytics for the bernie video i knew this would be a controversial one it is literally the first video that i've posted that's fallen below a 90 percent like rate god damn there are people that are extremely angry in the comment section um but that's all oh, right well. i got into my downvote shelter for that anyone in, in the uh streaming platform that has not I'm liked the has not liked the bernie sanders video please go and like it oh my god my lovely Aww. uh like to dislike ratio the algorithm will slap well, it, me. It was it was a little bit expected. It is a decisive issue. I'm gonna move in the member now. Oh, of course, now I know that. So hello, and please ask your question to EE. Hello, EE. Um, so in your video, you talked about how under the current system, there's a lot of people uh, working in the insurance policy, and uh, if we switch to Medicare for all. 
a lot of people would lose their jobs and that's a bad thing because you express how there were good jobs and stuff and uh my question is is that not like if we go to medicare for all is it not a good thing that these people lose their job and should because it's a pretty useless industry in my opinion that can be replaced with medicare for all and shouldn't we uh have instead good policies that help redirect these people towards more useful jobs for society and for themselves yeah so uh fantastic question and this was actually kind of one of the arguments i was making so for clarity um souls i'm assuming i'm yeah souls uh sort of asked you know look uh, one of the big points and one of the big counter arguments i made to one of bernie's policies is that you know uh the healthcare service industry in the united states is by far the country's largest employer there are more people employed in the healthcare services than there are you know uh in retail which you think is like the most basic generic job for everyone uh it's a huge industry and it employs you know 17 million people as of 2019 so it's massive and if we move to a healthcare system for all where a lot of those kind of auxiliary middle management types you know insurance administrators general medical administrators are kind of not necessarily needed that means massive unemployment now souls has sort of said okay cool but like you're sure they're going to be unemployed and unemployment's bad but these guys were pretty much in useless industries and that's actually yeah a very very fair argument like uh and it's kind of the the irony of what i was trying to say is the average person that's going to be arguing against medicare for all is going to be saying oh you know won't people think of the jobs you know all of my you know friends work in in medical work and if you if you take this industry away they're going to lose their jobs to you know communism uh but the counter argument to that is is literally like you know the same kind of people you know the don't tread on me crowd the laissez-faire market capitalists you know for better or for worse tend to argue that the guiding hand of the market is is correct and if we have a system that's inherently flawed and inefficient and it gets replaced by a new system that is better more efficient and produces better outcomes if people lose their jobs so be it that's just one of the you know they they should have been in a better industry now if you apply that to any other company so if it was i don't know Apple making iPhones and then Samsung came along with a phone that was cheaper, lasted longer, had better sort of specs all around and all of Apple em employees went out of business because the company went bankrupt and had to sh shut down, those fair market capitalists will be like, yeah, hell yeah, you know, that's that's the guiding hand of the market. You should have made better products. If it comes to the medical industry though, oh, no, 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 don't do that. You know, my, my doctor will be fired or, you know, Jan from uh, hospital accounting won't, uh, you know, won't be in work anymore. Uh, so it's probably a little bit of a hypocritical argument. So in my opinion, yeah, look, I mean, it's going to suck that obviously, uh, you know, people will be out of work. That's never a good thing. And there are economic sort of knock-on effects from from large-scale unemployment. But overall, uh, yeah, it's, you know, one of those things. If it's a better, more efficient system, you know, you've got to pay the price. Okay. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Um, Rogers, that ninety-five had a really good point as well, and it's the same for uh, for in Australia. You know, we have a private healthcare, uh, private sort of public healthcare system called Medicare. 
uh, is very similar to the type of system that Bernie Sanders is, is advocating for in America. And it actually increased the size of um, the medical field. Now, there's probably less money running through it just because it's a less of a private industry. But uh, by the same sense, there's, there's more jobs and it's more jobs for practitioners as well. Yeah, um, yeah, more actual people on the ground, you know, helping patients as opposed to these people sitting in, in offices with Excel spreadsheets of insurance programs versus um, billing. Uh, which is, you know, obviously very important in the current American system, but a bit of a useless kind of externality, I suppose, in the grand scheme of things. So, yeah, I think... So, go ahead. The same problem can be uh, applied to things like the military and stuff. Like, I want to reduce military funding, but a lot of jobs are going to be lost. So I think it's very important to emphasize on uh, re-education uh, and stuff. Yeah, fantastic point. I mean, it is very similar to the military. Like a lot of people, you know, are against the amount that the US spends on its military. And I don't really have a strong uh, opinion for or against that. Actually, my opinion kind of begins and ends with, you know what? Yes, America spends a lot of money on its military. I'm glad it's spending a lot of money on its military as opposed to someone like China. Um, you know, take it or leave it. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, but in terms of internally for America, it's a huge employer. It's effectively a sort of a welfare system for people that, you know, if you can't find a job or something like that, or you want training or you want to get a degree or a trade or something, going to the military is a fantastic option for you. Now, there are negative side effects that come with that, uh, but it is certainly an option for a lot of young men and women that are kind of looking for a bit of direction. And yeah, I don't know, I mean, overall it tends to be a positive one. So there's a lot to be said for sort of the knock-on effects beyond just, oh, well, it seems like a massive waste of just burning money. Are there more effective things they could be doing with it? You know, investing into productive infrastructure or things like that? Sure, but I think, you know, a powerful military is kind of the cornerstone of America. So, um, yeah, I'm not a political scientist. I really can't speak much to that, I'm afraid. What does cornerstone mean? Oh, like, uh, uh, it's just like a turn of phrase. Like, uh, it's an important part. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Now, at four minutes in your video, you show a graph uh, left, right, and you have, like, very authoritarian... very authoritarian countries, like China, North Korea, and on the right, you have an anarchist symbol. Isn't anarchy a leftist theory? And isn't, like... Is that fair? Like, I thought the right was like, yeah, and fascism and stuff. Like, yeah, that is fair. Um, so I don't know. Well, look, this is where it well, gets so confusing, and this is why I hate political graphs like this, uh, because in a certain sense, like, if you were looking at the most extreme right-wing economic policy, you would be looking at something where it's just anything goes. There are no regulations around trade or financial contracts or anything of that nature. It's just if you can do it go do it. Um, so, you know, if you want to trade this for that, no worries. If you want to, you know, sell, well, look, I mean, all kind of manner of terrible things that you could sell that wouldn't uh, otherwise be a regulated sell, yeah, you could do it. So it's a very sort of a freewheeling system, perhaps anarchy, uh, because there's a lot of sort of social things that tend to put it to the left of the political spectrum. Um, you know, maybe it doesn't belong there uh, overall, but it certainly would be kind of very indicative of what uh, that kind of extreme right system would be. The other thing is, um, communist China today, I don't know if you sort of saw it as I put it on the graph, 
I actually rate it as a much more capitalistic country than even the United States. Uh, yeah, it's extremely even free market. The United States, like it has a huge amount of regulation and plays a lot. Like every big uh, corporation is associated with the government, isn't it? Is that fair? Yeah. Well, look, there's undeniably a lot of government control, especially in heavy industry. Uh, but there is also a very sort of loose grip uh, on sort of peer-to-peer -peer kind of trade. You know, things like scams or, you know, financial fraud are, are big things in China. Uh, and to the sense really? that, yeah, huge. Now, on the surface, yeah, like a lot of their heavy industries, a lot of main banks have very, very strong connections to the, you know, the Communist Party. Um, but on the ground level... Uh, a lot of the sort of microeconomic stuff is is extremely capitalistic, uh, more so than you know in let's say a, a country like the United States because uh, you know if you sort of mess something up there, you can go bankrupt and there are basically no safety nets in China. And on the other hand, obviously in America, there's, there's still a certain level of you've got a bit of uh, you know you've got a bit of wiggle room there. So again, this is why I hate lining things up because there's so many kind of caveats, there's so many sort of touch points, there's so many bits of data that can say that, oh, this belongs there or this belongs here or that belongs there and this belongs here. Uh, and there's so many ways of kind of laying it out that it, there's no real one universal sort of this is correct or this is wrong. For the most part, I think the takeaway is that most successful economies tend to lie towards the center. Um, so I hope that's something that you sort of got out of it. Most successful um, economies. Mm, it's a common talking point that uh, the USSR was successful economically, isn't it? Well, uh, that is, I think, uh, a, a thing which you can debate on if if it was, if it wasn't. Um, personally, okay. if I look at it uh, through my eyes, for example, the space race, they couldn't continue because they didn't really have the funds essentially to continue it as well but that's a completely different topic yeah uh, and of course it's it's a large it, it's largely also due to of course political reasons why it fell apart so yeah but anyway uh we're gonna move on uh, to anything else if people have questions of course keep asking them in the stream questions channel and of course also in in um on, the, on YouTube, the stream, uh, please keep in mind to stay respectful to everybody. I saw some things flying by. That, that That's not nice. Um, and thank you for your comments. I'm going to move you back to the lounge show, you know. Thanks, Sol. Oh, they, really, oh, they were really fantastic questions, though. I think that was really, really great. And again, um, you know, if you have any questions, I, don't, I, I do not expect anyone to sort of universally agree with me. I mean, where's the sort of fun in that? Um, I want people to come on here and kind of challenge something that I said or even, you know, point out things like, I don't know, the thumbnail, you know, I didn't spell economics right. So that wasn't exactly a great start to uh, come <laughs> to this kind of discussion from a point of, you know, academic superiority, but, you know. Yeah, uh, actually, I saw some questions flying by, especially regarding to, for example, minimal wage. And I think that is actually a good qu uh, question to start on. Uh, what do you think about, uh, well, um, uh, minimum wage and how does like Bernie, but also some other candidates say, hey, we need to raise the minimum wage in order to have it actually, uh, well, get more uh, to the people who are working. So, yeah. So there are two arguments that can be made here there's the social one where it's kind of nice for you know mothers raising kids and you know people living on minimum wage to be able to 
you know, live and have a decent quality of life. But ah, we don't give a crap about that. We're economists. We're going to look at sort of the grand scheme of uh, things and what's going to be ultimately the best sort of benefit for the total system overall. Uh, and certainly, I think, look, I am certainly in support of a higher minimum wage for a reference. Australia uh, is a country that has an extremely high minimum wage. Uh, they certainly look after workers, but it's also tiered. It gets higher the older you get. So uh, there, there's a lot to sort of be said for it. Now, I think it ultimately comes down to uh, people's marginal propensity to consume. So a quick economics lesson, and I'm sorry for people, you know, watching the, the live stream now for entertaining debate, but you're getting an economics lesson instead. Uh, there's this sort of theory in economics called the marginal propensity to consume. And what that is, is for every extra dollar in your pocket, what are you going to spend and what are you going to save? So for someone, um, let's say someone that's living on minimum wage, they're probably spending pretty much every dollar that they get. So if they get paid an extra $200 a week, that's fantastic for them. That means that they are going to be able to buy that extra load of laundry, uh, sorry, extra load of groceries, do their laundry, you know, more times a week or fill up their car with gas without any issues like that. They're pretty much going to spend all of that extra $200. So that means that their marginal propensity to consume is 100%. Now let's say, you know, let's say it's an individual, like a professional, a very, very wealthy individual who's making, you know, $400,000 a year and they get an extra $200 a week. Now they go, oh, well, cool. I mean, it's still free money. I have nothing to sort of sniff at. But instead of spending it down at the shops or at the gas station or whatever, I'm going to save it. I'm just going to stick it in my, you know, hedge fund or even my savings account. Uh, which means that their marginal propensity to consume is 0%. For every extra dollar they get, they consume 0% of it. Now, that's sort of the two ends of the spectrum. But what it means is that when you're talking about raising minimum wage, you're giving money to people that are going to spend basically every dollar that they get, which sounds bad from a personal finance perspective, but it's fantastic for an economy overall because let's say someone gets an extra $200 in their pocket, they go out and spend it at the grocery store. The grocery store now has $200 extra and they can employ staff and you know, you know, know, pay for you know, new, new checkout chicks or warehouse managers or whatever it may be. And let's say that warehouse manager uh, you know, gets an extra, yeah, let's say $150 in their pocket. The, the, the grocery store takes sort of, you know, $50 out of it for, as profit. He can then go out and spend that $150 at, a, you know, a video game store that can then employ people uh, who in turn will get to spend their salaries and it's got this knock-on effect. Whereas if you're giving money to people that already have a lot of money, they don't tend to spend any more than they already do. It just tends to get piled into a bank account or an investment portfolio somewhere. So there's a lot to be said for channeling a reasonable amount of money to people that have a much higher propensity to consume. And that is done through, you know, things like minimum wages, raising minimum wages. Counter argument, of um, course, is inflation. Is that something that you're gonna say? No, not at all, actually. Um, because I would um, uh, enlighten you on a different, well, the different side of the coin because uh, what you're telling me is, of course, a very good thing uh, that if you give people money, um, and especially on the lower, uh, well, lower side of the uh, economic uh, prosperity of people, so with minimum wage jobs, they tend to indeed spend a lot in comparison uh, to like higher uh, income individuals who are much more likely to indeed uh, save it instead of spend it. 
However, uh, I think one thing you um, uh, well gloss over, and I also know what if the, the the second thing what you wanted to say uh, with, for example, cost. But I think it's also detrimental to the people themselves who are getting minimum wage, because in the end you're gonna give people minimum wage an increase. That means that everybody is gonna get that increase. However, we still need to consider that the uh, marginal gain in efficiency uh, may not apply here. Why? Because people who have a lower, in uh, well, are at the lowest um, uh, form of income, lower grounds of income, uh, they may not be as efficient as higher paying people. Because if you have higher paying people, they actually most of the time um, are given the chance to grow, grow, grow and get more money through promotions, for example. While the people who are on the bottom of it they don't really have that chance. A very good example is Shenzhen in China. Shenzhen in China has become from 30 years ago until essentially now from, uh, uh, well, well, maybe 30 years ago is a little bit optimistic, but from a well tiny fishing village outside of Hong Kong into um, a city of, I think, 20 million. However, at the current moment, um, everything in that city is so expensive that workers can't live inside the city anymore and stuff like that. So they have been raising up essentially the minimum wage within. However, what resulted in that is replacing of those people. So there is not more jobs, there's just replacing to optimization, resulting in less prosperity for those who are under, uh, well, at the bottom, instead of actually giving them more money. As in essence, what happens due to uh, efficiency gains through automation, they are rather having automation as a capital good investment, uh, and that results that the people who don't are well are not efficient enough anymore will uh, essentially be forced out of their job, and the people who will be efficient enough, they get more money. But overall, it is stays not the same. Yeah, so uh, look, I mean, that's the, that's the other classic argument as well. And there's a lot to be said either side of that. Um, and it's it's certainly something that I agree with, that uh, obviously having, you know, a minimum wage means that it's going to, to workers that are probably, you know, ultimately less efficient. And, and Shenzhen's an amazing city for for a lot of reasons. And, and, and ultimately sort of my way of leaning on it is, um, sure, if you have a uh you know if you have a system where you've got higher sort of minimum wage as a standard you might find that people kind of lean on the system a little bit more and perhaps you know average worker uh innovation is lower and that's something you'd have to toss up with the effects of having on average wealthier citizens in my opinion again conjecture i'd have to read sort of uh, articles to actually sort of relate to this and, and there are sort of studies that kind of go either way so it depends on sort of who you ask i sense in terms of the economic community having wealthier citizens is one of the biggest determinant factors of a successful economy it's something that kind of goes hand in hand you know you have wealthy citizens they can have a wealthy economy a wealthy economy generates wealthy citizens it's one of those circular flow kind of things um but it, yeah i mean absolutely i mean Shenzhen's an amazing example of you know what uh you know freewheeling innovation and kind of just absolutely go for it loose kind of regulation around everything just you know go out there and innovate and build the most amazing city you possibly can uh is city that i actually well i always say i love it there's um i, I spent a, a lot of time in there um up until a little while ago it's an interesting place um certainly a very cool place but uh, well i'm not sure if i'd actually want to live there full time though
course, that's the second question. <laughs> but I think especially with uh, government regulations, um, I think I already put it up there as, for example, the Netherlands, we're, grave, uh, we're digging our, uh, a hole for ourselves at the moment with regulation. Because if you look, for example, as uh, that's also, that's also a question from people, I think it's a little bit too political to have it in a um, discussion of economics, but we can still look at the macro effects. That is the new Green Deal, which Bernie also uh, put up. And if I refer that to, for example, the Netherlands, we have, uh, well, a very big crisis at the moment. Within the Netherlands, we have nowhere else uh, with PFAS, which is a, a, a substance, I don't know exactly what it is, but it can result in diseases, but it is so minimal uh, that it's not really a big thing. However, we make it a big thing because it's essentially every piece of sand or kilo of sand is currently now uh, being tested and being tested that it has too much. And we're not talking only at, uh, well, at industrial sites. Now we're talking even in nature everywhere. It's everywhere. And then we also yeah. have the nitrogen um, uh, discussion uh, of, uh, well, that's well, damage the environment that we have, uh, so on and so on. But due to those two reasons, essentially 20,000 uh, building projects are just done. They, they can't continue. And of course, that kind of stuff is detrimental to an economy. And on uh, short term, it can really ruin an economy. And I've, I don't know exactly the Green Deal what um, Bernie is trying to do. But of course, with uh, regulation, if you look in general to regulation, uh, it raises the costs of doing business uh, and then people should expect or well can't really be surprised about it but they still are often that prices are going up uh, because if you need to comply with more regulation with more stuff you need to uh, make sure that you also get your bottom line out of it meaning you need to raise prices and that's something of course will return go into uh, well being costly for consumers themselves um, and I think that's also one thing which is often over, uh, underestimated. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, regulation in general does, uh, especially when you're talking about environmental regulation, does on aggregate increase the price of goods. That's pretty hard to argue against because certainly the statistics don't lie. Uh, and even sort of points, uh, you know, even though that sort of particular point was obviously conjecture, it tends to be the process by which that kind of price transfer happens. Um, big, It was kind of a bit to our point though big joe actually had a really really fantastic question i don't know if you can drag him into the chat i don't know if he is even in the chat or has a microphone but i don't know drag him on in here uh big joe i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna see what i can do with him uh if you just continue with some general questions then uh then uh i will uh, get him in here soon okay oh, if, 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 if we can yeah i can see his everything is muted so uh you know, otherwise, uh, he, he had a really, really fantastic question, and maybe I can wait a little while to um, sort of answer it, but it was relating to the circular flow of cash and, and the multiplier effect. So when we were talking about, um, you know, money being recirculated from workers with a higher minimum wage, um, their marginal propensity to consume affects their multiplier. Uh and that's something that economists study, you know, what the multiplying effect of things like government surplus is. So if you're interested in reading sort of further on from that, I just Google the multiplier effect economics and that'll give you, um, you know, a really good idea as sort of how um, that kind of process works. Yeah, and this he is... posted a response in the stream questions. Oh. 
so many Hello. things to keep on watching. Ah, hey, Big Joe. So you had a really, really good question and Matus actually kind of asked uh, a very similar question in a very, that is why he, he always likes being extremely hostile to me, but I love it. And that's why he's a member of the moderator team because he doesn't kiss the butt. He uh, speaks his own mind, but uh, you seem a little bit friendlier. So ask your, uh, ask your question. Uh, my question was that uh, don't uh, banks just regulate the money that rich people save because, you know, by loaning to people who are, uh, who don't have the money in the moment. Because uh, I watched your video about uh, trickle-down econo economics, which is like a, a term that is used to criticize, jab at supply-side economics. Um, and um, I didn't want to like, be one-sided because you, you kind of boggled my mind. So, yeah, my question is don't banks just like regulate money and yeah. give some to the poor people uh and when you say regulate i i think you mean like recirculate yes yes like recirculating yeah okay cool cool i thought so i just wanted to double check uh yeah and that's that's a really really good argument uh in the sense but there are a few big um there are a few big caveats to that now matters there sort of laid it out in a really eloquent way and i don't know if people on the live stream can sort of see it in a large enough way to actually sort of read what he said but it's effectively the same kind of argument you know sure you know rich people don't spend as much of their money on goods and services and consumer items they you know tend to save at a higher rate than, than poor people do it's just sort of the way the world works um but they aren't stuffing money under their mattress. I mean, some of them might, but most of them won't. Most of the time, they're going to put it into a bank or into a portfolio of shares and things like that, or they're going to invest into capital. Uh, and that means that banks or those businesses that have been invested into can then, in turn, invest into productive industries or they can invest into um, you know, factories to build more goods, which means as more goods have been produced, they become cheaper. And that is certainly a really, really good kind of argument that over the long term, that sort of brings prices down. That, in a sense, is true with a few big sort of caveats if you think through the process. If all of that money has been uh, invested into productive assets, so let's say we pay a rich person an extra $1,000 a week, fantastic, they're going to save all of it. They've already got everything they'd ever need. They don't need to spend any more money. They just want to invest their money to make even more money. Now, let's say that he invests that in a, or he or she invests that in a factory that then goes on to produce, I don't know, um, bread. And that bread factory sort of competes in local markets and pushes down the price of bread. That means effectively the average person has got a pay increase because now they're spending less of their money on bread. Uh, and that's, you know, deflationary pressure, which is bad for the whole economy combined, but, you know, good for individual consumers. Uh, at least in the short term. Uh, and then sort of Mathis said, well, I mean, yeah, that's an example of money being recirculated. It doesn't that effectively give us the same kind of end result? Isn't it even sort of in a bit of a fairer way because it's going to people that have probably genuinely earned that money? And then yes, but two big things to take away from that. One, it has to entirely be put towards productive infrastructure. So if in a sense, let's say that same person got an extra $1,000 and they said, uh, yeah, okay, shares are cool, but what I would actually want to do is buy an investment property. I'll buy a property that I'm going to then rent out. What that does is it increases the price of 
a house that he buys because suddenly there are more people out there in the market, more demand, same supply of houses, pushes up the price of houses. He now has a bigger, more valuable house that he can charge more rent from. Rent and housing expenses are a huge part of most household budgets, which means the prices are increasing. So it depends on where that money is recirculated to. When it's just recirculated to poor people, it tends to be that that marginal propensity to consume gets recirculated amongst other people in a similar kind of case, you know, primarily on things like retail. Um, so that's that's the distinction there. Uh, and of course, you know, it's very hard to follow the life cycle of a dollar. So it's very hard to see exactly where those rich people are sort of spending their extra thousand dollars that they may receive through tax cuts or whatever it may be. That's generally where it's going in a, in a very oversimplified system. You're kind of cutting. You're kind of cutting off. Is it just me? Oh, I hope not. I can hear him just fine. So I think it's yeah. you. Okay. So. RCJ two hundred. That is an extremely controversial opinion. How how dare you? Yeah. So look, I mean, overall, um, I think that's sort of where it sits. And I think that was a fantastic question, Joe. Thanks for um, thanks for asking it. And also, you know, thanks for sort of having that discussion in a very civilized way. I. Like huge props to everyone, both on the Discord server and my entire audience, pretty much on YouTube. People have certainly disagreed with things that I've said, uh, and that's that I encourage. I don't want people that are just going to mindlessly, oh, yeah, okay, some guy on the internet said it, must be true. Click like and subscribe, uh, but they tend to do it in a really, really uh, like productive, uh, intelligent way. I've seen people legitimately like link scholarly articles on YouTube comments. I thought that was unheard of. Um, so for what it's worth, thank you guys. Well, I love you. You know, you don't have to agree with absolutely everything I say, but if you're kind of arguing back with me uh, in a scholarly way, I think that's 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 awesome. I got a question, but this is um, this is about different thing. Can I ask? I suppose so. Um, this is about, you know, <clears throat> in some countries, the industry is not um, as advanced as, I don't know, like first world country, right? And uh, when those countries trade with them, they just buy things, they don't produce things. And all the things that are good, just like the Venezuela one, like you said, uh, they didn't produce things in the long term or advanced their industry they just like bought stuff with the oil money and um how do you suppose you can solve that problem because in turkey is where i live in turkey we tr in at the trip time we try to have our industrial revolution um, and it just stopped right after he died and then like the government started to um i don't know stop privatization of things like um, like industry which the government tried to control stuff because we tried to make planes uh, and the government just said no no i'll just take care of that and then it didn't advance how do you think uh, that problem can be solved the industrialization 
That's a really, really good question. So Venezuela is a different example, I suppose, entirely from that in the sense that they squandered what they had. Um, so they had basically a supply of money that was pretty much pumped out of the ground and sold all around the world. Uh, but instead of investing it into productive infrastructure or instead of investing it into things like a tourism industry or, you know, airports or, you know, even, you know, some kind of a manufacturing center, they think he said, oh, you know, we got limitless supplies of money here. We'll just give it out, um, which is fine. But it's kind of like someone that, let's say someone that wins the lottery gets, you know, $10 million deposited into their bank account. Sure, you can do a lot of stuff with $10 million, but, you know, let's just say you go and spend it all the time and you never invest it. Well, that money is not going to make more money. And eventually, no matter how sort of frugal you are with it, you're going to get to the end of that money. And that was the problem with Venezuela. They had a pretty not much quitting skills, like just using the money to do stuff, but not improving yourself. Because if you're not improving yourself, you're never going to produce and make more money. That's right. You're and, only dependent on that money. Yeah. And, it, and even if like Venezuela, they were extremely, extremely sort of haphazard with how they spent their money. Like it was just unbelievable. Their level of government spending, it was insane. But even like, you know, if we use the example of someone that just won a lottery, you know, let's say you're someone, you know, you won $10 million, but you only spend $100,000 a year. You'd think for someone that has $10 million sitting in the bank, that's extremely conservative. Uh, and it would be. But if you don't invest it, well, a few things are going to catch up with you. You know, obviously inflation, um, but eventually, you know, you know, 100 years time, you're going to have spent through all of that money. Now, 100 years, it's, you know, for the average lifespan, it's, it's not a problem for an individual, but for a government, it certainly is. And the same kind of thing is true. They didn't invest in anything that was going to make them more money beyond what they sort of dug out of the ground. Uh, now for Turkey, I, I don't know the specifics of it, but it sounds like obviously if you're looking at an industrial revolution, that in many senses for a lot of economies is similar to an oil boom. Um, if you're going through a big period of rapid industrialization, it can mean a lot of growth, a lot of increase in living standards for residents, uh, but it eventually plateaus out. It's, you know, it happens in almost any kind of country that goes through a similar kind of effect. You know, we've seen Japan, we're starting to see China, you know, countries like India, sorry about that, had the hiccups. Uh, and, you know, it's just one of the sort of logical steps that they kind of take. But it's all about kind of reinventing yourself. It's all about sort of moving into either a service industry or, or building up some other industry to sort of take its place and, and make sure that, you know, the living standards of the occupants of the country are maintained, if not improved. Uh, quickly to go through it. People on the stream have uh, a little bit of difficulty hearing the stream. So could you turn up the volume a little? I uh, economics explained? Probably can. Hang on. I don't think it needs to be massively increased, but uh, it is indeed, especially if you have guests uh, who are speaking who are a little bit softer in their tone, um, they are actually not that heard that well. So. Oh, I just realized I have like a, a um, bleh, what's it called? Uh, like a um, non-digital mic. What are they called? What's non-digital? Acoustic Analog. mic? Uh, yeah, analog, yeah. analog. Um, so is that any better? Can people who on the stream sort of say if that's uh, any better to listen to me now? Because I just turned it up a little bit. Well, I think you can also just, um, uh, well, turn up the volume of the artificially in, 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 um, in YouTube itself, but yeah, it's fine. I think, I think the main problem was that they were having issues hearing people speak, the other people not. Yeah, not you. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Because I listen to Discord super quietly. Uh, okay, 
Uh, so can anyone? Can everyone hear Red Chicken? Because his audio is coming through perfectly for me. Oh well, yeah. Uh, if that uh, if that is fine, guys, uh, please confirm. Then we can continue with the discussion again. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! Did someone say Big World 2020? Ah, oh, that takes me back. Oh, I loved that movie when I was a kid. Just the aesthetic of it. Fantastic movie. Absolutely fantastic. I'm going to go watch that tonight. I've got work tomorrow. I've got to literally be up at 6 a.m. But you know what? I'm going to watch that, watch that movie because, ah, everything about it. It's just, just great. Anyway, completely off topic. So thank you, whoever pointed out Big World. Um, but anyway. Uh, anyway, uh, sort of... It seems to be fine now, apparently. So that's good. Excellent. Yeah, if, if it is, I mean, this is absolutely our first time doing this live stream. So it seems to be pretty good. Uh, at the moment, we have like 290 viewers sort of engaging, which is much more than we'd sort of get in the standard uh, sort of, you know, uh, Discord discussion. And there's a lot of people that are asking some, yeah, pretty fantastic questions. Uh, you work EE, as in, do I have a job? I suppose. Oh, okay. Yeah, so um, I sort of, yeah, I have um, a, a job, yes. Uh, so I was discussing this earlier in the stream, but that was only when we had sort of maybe like three or four people on the YouTube stream. So yes, he, I am an Australian. Being an Australian is not my job. Um, I work as a high-frequency trading engineer and a broker uh, in Sydney, so I work in the finance field. I, I used to be a, a, a like an economic student. I was doing a PhD program. I, I dropped out of the program to work in my current role at the moment, um, but it's still something that I really, really enjoy. I love teaching people, you know, doing lectures or talking to students, uh, and that's something that I'm kind of deprived on in my current role. It's very acidic, sort of numbers-based stuff. Uh, so this is kind of my outlet for, you know, talking and having these kinds of discussions with people, and it's really, really fantastic because uh, you know, it's not all about sort of people agreeing with me, but it's about having these kinds of arguments and uh, debates that I've, you know, don't really get sort of day to day now. But yeah, I mean, that that is a very sort of uh, roundabout way of answering the question. Yes, I have a job. I work in finance. I'm a high frequency trading engineer. Can I ask a question about jobs? Like the, the, the job that you do, like, because I'm thinking about um, perhaps maybe uh, going in a university major about economics or i don't know trade like international trade because I'm a, I, I like to uh, learn languages i know like three languages right now and um, i want to expand on that and perhaps uh, use it use it in use my languages to i don't know learn economics or international trade well, I mean, do you suggest anything any economic esque job um so well i mean speaking three languages is certainly something that's really really impressive i only speak one so um he certainly got a big leg up on me there and it is something that is i know no chinese yeah well i mean yeah there's a lot to be sort of said for that because actually like chinese market is it's huge uh, and their average sort of customers don't actually speak english so it's one of those things where it's a really useful language to have all of it, I mean, besides that, um, of course, uh, if you are sort of interested in going to economics, just remember um, a lot of people think of economics and they think of, you know, Wall Street kind of mortgage or share brokers, um, you know, getting on the phones and, you know, having, you know, 17 monitors open in front of them. Uh, and that's certainly something that you can do with economics, but it is not 
economics itself. That's more finance. If you're going to do economics, just remember, in essence, it is a social science. It's not about the numbers. It's about the study of people. Um, so take it as you will. My advice is to mix it with something like business analytics, which is what I did, uh, which meant that, you know, with my foundation in economics mixed with a really, really strong understanding of like business mathematics and statistics, I was able to move into pretty much whatever role I wanted. I moved into sort of financial modeling, engineering risk analysis, just because, well, I mean, to be honest, it paid really well, um, but also because it is something where there's a lot of demand for it. And it's something that if you're skilled, uh, it, it'll always be something that there will be sort of that kind of demand for those kinds of people. So if you're interested in international things, fantastic. Mix something like international studies with some kind of analytical studies, and you'll be like the most hot commodity out there. Trust me. If you're good at if you're good at um, sort of statistics, it's it's amazing in this kind of current world. Oh, statistics. I, I also, I also suggest Man. going into doing some kind of well, computer science next to it because, well, it, computers are taking over. It's not really a question. So you need to you need to be able to well be on your feet, and you, you don't really want to be replaced. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of the questions was, can can my job be replaced? Uh, can my job be automated? Well, leg legitimately, half of my job is automating stuff. Um, so, yeah, it, it absolutely can. You can't be automated when yeah when, you when I'm the automator. Yeah, but I mean, certainly, I mean, for the most part, my job involves moving numbers around on a screen all day. So, absolutely. Potentially, uh, it's something that I'm genuinely terrified of. So I've had this discussion with a lot of people. Like, I'm a big fan of, I, I don't know if any of you guys are sort of active participants on Reddit, uh, but of the financial independence retire early movement. And that's not because I want to go and sit on a beach all day, but it's certainly something I sort of see the incoming wave of uh, people where, uh, you know, there's not going to be jobs for people like me that just sort of sit and look at numbers. So I'm like, holy crap, you know, i got to save some freaking money for when i'm like basically made redundant by mr robot here uh, just so i can continue with my quality of life so it's something that i certainly uh subscribe to that kind of mentality just because um i'm sort of afraid of of automation whether it's a logical fear i don't know but it's certainly something that i see as something very possible um how old am i oh that's not polite how old do you think i am that's actually, if anyone gets it right in the uh, live chat, I will. <laughs> well, let's also move back to a little bit more of the, of the topic on hand instead of uh, general advice of, of like schooling and which kind of education. But yeah, I think economics in general indeed is, is of course, a social study. Some people make it out to be a lot more science-y based, but of course there is some, but that's more econometrics. So... Anyway. Yeah, I mean, certainly, yeah, I appreciate everyone guessing my age. Uh, some people, oh, God, some people have been close. Oh, dear. Matthew, uh, that is not nice. He's not in the 90s. Are you just going to get everything? <laughs> oh, well. He'll get there eventually. <laughs> yes, that is true. Big Joe says 60. Oh, dear. Uh, oh, my goodness. What do I think about current stock valuations? I don't think anything about current stock valuations. You know why? Because I don't have any idea. 
you don't have any idea, Santa Claus doesn't have any ideas, Warren Buffett doesn't have any ideas about current stock valuations. If I had a good, reasonable knowledge of stock valuations in a sense that I was able to speak with any kind of authority in a reasonable manner, I would be the richest person in the world. There is no way I'd be live streaming on uh, Discord at 1am on a Monday night. Well, see it like this with trading. Um, nobody knows what's going on and nobody is going to be the the best one out there. It's all, a, well, a prediction of what do you think a, a per, the perceived value is of a stock is going to be. If you are certain, it's, well, essentially inside trading and that is not very allowed in most places. So, <laughs> so yeah. Well, yes, of course. I mean, if you're, yes, it's either something where you're an idiot and you're one of those guys that go, yeah, I know what the stock's going to do tomorrow, man. You know, look, I've got these, uh, you know, I've got these Bollinger Bands here and they're going to tell me, uh, you know, I'm subscribed to Tim Sykes. I'm going to be a millionaire. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, it's either sort of nonsense like that or uh, it is, in a sense, you know, you're doing insider trading. So it's obviously you're an idiot or, or you're doing something illegal and telling me about it was is idiotic as well. So I don't listen to anybody that says that they know what a stock is going to do um, because no one, no one really does. It's one of those things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, are there any other topics, actually? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, uh, yeah, 2029. So, um, <laughs> you know, very, very close. I think a few people got, I don't know if anybody actually got it. I think everyone got around it. So I don't know if I'm older or younger than you expected me to be. Um, well, sorry to disappoint either way. Wall Street bets is a place for financial advice. Uh, <laughs> absolutely not. Please, please, for the love of God, no. Oh, this is actually a really interesting question. Complete. Uh, it's a bit off topic, and I mean, it's again in the sort of stock market advice thing, which again, I can't speak of any kind of authority, um, but it's something I've been following for quite a while. Uh, does the increased number of people investing in unmanaged broad market tracking funds like Vanguard make people who invest in individual stocks more powerful? For example, if in 20 years, 80% of the market just tracks the broad market, would that make the other 20% have a higher influence on prices? Um, to be honest, I invest 100% of my portfolio into Vanguard funds. So I, I do have a stock portfolio. It's 100% in like, like market tracking index funds like VGS. Uh, and yeah, uh, theoretically it, it could uh, in a certain sense. Like obviously these these funds have a lot of power and they sort of dictate the proportion of representation that each individual share has in it. And that has an influence on the individual price. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if 80% of the market is invested into these things that just follow the market, then the people that actually sort of dictate the market will be these little leftover people that are still investing into individual stocks, which potentially has the chance for some, you know, uh, arbitrage nonsense, but it'll be very interesting. Uh, in the meantime, though, I, I don't know. I, th I think in terms of laziness, I still like investing into Vanguard funds just because I only have to click one button and I don't have to worry about, uh, yeah. Oh God, yeah, we are turning into finance, explain. But that's all right. So we'll leave it at that. But uh, yeah, you know, Vanguard's, in my opinion, still pretty good. There are a lot of actively managed funds trying to boohoo it at the moment, but I think maybe it's just because people are sort of waking up to managed funds not being the, the be-all and end-all. 
If this stream has proven anything, it proves that you can't teach Keynesian economics. Um, oh dear. Well, that's a bit of a shame. I'd like to think that, uh, you know, there's still a lot to be said for Keynesian economics. So, um, I don't know, try, try and learn it. Most of my videos sort of have Keynesian sort of philosophies on there for better or for worse. And oof, I'm ducking and covering right now because I feel like this chat's about to turn against me. But uh, yeah. Are there any other big things that we can still discuss? Because it has been walked to a little bit of a dead end at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and it's also 1am, so I'm getting ready to go to sleep. So I think I'll answer one more question. Um, and I am looking around for who that is going to be. Oh, actually, well, we've actually sort of already kind of answered it, uh, Duminator. Um, what drives the price of US healthcare so high? And why does the Swiss... Have a system that's 100% private as well, not have a price that's as high. So, two things. Um, we have already sort of briefly discussed this earlier, but I'll, I'll go over it again because it is interesting and we sort of had a, a, an interesting discussion around it. One, Swiss healthcare is actually still very expensive per person. Now, the average Swiss person is a lot richer than the average American person. It's a much, well, in general, sort of like the individuals in that economy are, are wealthier than the average American. So proportionally, their income is spent a little bit less on, on healthcare, even though it actually per person is is a towards the same kind of cost. Uh, so it's not really a fair argument to say, oh, why isn't, why isn't Swiss so expensive? Uh, the other thing that we were sort of discussing is that in Switzerland, there's a lot, like getting an education is, is a lot less expensive, certainly in the medical industry. Um, you're not gonna see someone that's becoming a Swiss doctor entering the profession with a million dollars worth of student loan debt. Uh, so there are certainly instances where there's a lot less to make up and maybe compensation for workers is not quite as high. And oh my God, why is there Stalin on my feed? Oh, what the? Come on, man. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's sort of a few kind of intricacies to the US economy that, especially in relation to education, which makes the overall price a little bit higher. Um, but... There is, um, you know, there's there's a few other things, especially when you're looking at Switzerland, where you know it isn't actually that much cheaper. It's just that Swiss people are a little bit richer. Uh, you get it out a little. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Um, oh, that's because I moved further away from my microphone. All right. Mm. So, because uh, I'm sitting back in my chair because it's very late and I'm super tired. All right, so thank you for making me Stalin, Big Joe. I think that was a nice high point to end the video on. Um, I think this was actually oh, over... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. Shh. Um, I think this was actually a pretty big success. I mean, me and the moderator team here on the Discord server were super kind of worried and we're like, oh my God, we're going to do a live stream and it's going to be a disaster. Um, it hasn't, it's actually been quite pleasant. So thank you everyone on the Discord server and thank you everyone in the live chat of the YouTube section uh, for, for, for keeping up to date with everything, for being really, really civil and asking really fantastic questions. I am going to sleep now, so I'll be ending the server, but absolutely feel free to come onto the Discord server. We have fantastic conversations sort of day to day here. So even if you're not talking to me, you're talking to a lot of other sort of really interesting people who have, uh, you know, a lot of great discussions around, you know, economics or I don't know, uh, general bullshit or really like that. Otherwise, peace out, guys. Have a good one.